Hello, my name is Andre Tidwell. I am one of your hosts of Peace Talks. Here with the legendary, here with the most enthusiastic person on campus, the one who actually hosts and AKA actually owns the Peace Talks podcast, Marty McGuire. Hold on, wait a minute. Wait a minute. How does it feel? I don't know. It's a little strange. I'm used to just listening as a consumer. So how did you get your start here at William Peace University? Well, I started here with the Peace Times. My background's in journalism. And at the time I started, I was writing for the News and Observer, the Tar Heel of the Week, every week. And I was looking for another job to complement that. And I started as advisor to the newspaper, started teaching a writing course, Next thing you know, I'm here full time. Next thing you know, I'm helping the podcast get started. So how did the podcast come about? I've heard that y'all went to the media conference and actually got information. Is that true? It's true. I say I helped started it, but I did very little because at this conference, well, just to give some background, um, since I've For the past few years, we've been going every year to the North Carolina College Media Association Conference. Uh, But once we go, I went with a few students, we attend whatever sessions seem interesting. And I was not actually at the session. But a few students, Alex Garrison and Caitlin Richards, went to a session where they talked about podcasts. You got to get the name check in there. Um, They talked about podcasting, and then they came back, and we were talking about it in my office, and uh, Mr. Crispin came in, Roger Crispin, and heard us talking and came back and brought us a microphone. And I downloaded Audacity, and the podcast was born. So what were the first few episodes like? Because I wasn't present for these. This was right before I came here. So what were the first few episodes like? Very short. (laughs) The first, the first few episodes, they would go through the various college, the various sites from the college, and they they put together a sort of things happening this week, and that was pretty much it. So, how did the podcast evolve from that first episode to where we're at now? Well, it started getting a little bit longer, right? Because we started with here's what's coming up this week. And then I guess there was more of a recap of the last week of events and then what's coming up. Um, I'd say once we expand, well, let's be honest, once you join the podcast, we started moving more into conversation. Um, With Will Dalton, we had, do, do we clap for him? With Will Dalton, we had a sports update every week. And so I feel like it's expanded because every student that has joined the team has brought in their own take on the podcast and brought in their own interests. Okay. Next question for you. How does it feel being just an overseer of the podcast and just watching how things develop from what we do every week on the show? It's interesting because I think at first, and you experienced this, Andre, I wanted to manage it. In a, in a close way. And I think it was that first live podcast when I really saw y'all talk. And I thought, 
you know, this can manage itself. I'm going to, I need to step back a little bit. And so it's always a struggle between I need to dictate exactly what happens and I should back up a little bit and just let it happen. So after that realization, you just noticed the podcast starting to at least grow and evolve from there and there. And how do you see the future of the podcast? That's interesting. Like I said, uh, Whoever has been on it has brought their own take and their own interest, so it's hard to know what will come next. I think that Peace Pop has um, developed in its own way and will probably continue next semester along a similar vein. Um, Peace Talks, I hope I may end up managing a little more closely because we're going to have newcomers onto that podcast. I'd like to see more interviews. I think that's a place where we've been successful more live podcasts because those have been really successful as well. Um, hopefully we'll just, maybe we'll get the same sort of uh, discussions going because I think those are fantastic. But I always have to keep in mind that someone else will bring in a totally new idea and we'll go that direction. So time will tell. Okay. So just as again, just seeing through everything that's been going on and the future, the present, past, where is your role going to be at peace in hmm. your future? I don't know. Um, probably a lot the same. I kind of, uh, I've been through several careers before I came here and this is, I see this as kind of my landing place where I just continue developing. I mean, I could see myself playing a similar role, but I think that the student media here will change over time because we need to be adapting to what the marketplace is like. If podcasts are what people are doing, we need to be doing it. If we need to be doing more multimedia, we'll be doing it. So I hope to be, play the same role as a facilitator, but I hope to be facilitating different products over time. So if someone that come up to you that had no idea who you are and asked, who is Marty McGuire? What would you tell them? I am a woman of mystery, Andre, so it's hard to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said that. Um, no, I say, oh, I teach at William Peace University is what I say now. Um, probably only a few years ago, I would have said I was primarily a, a journalist. Uh, I feel like I'm still a journalist. I'm also a professor. As you know, I'm also a Zumba instructor. That's my other small so, sideline. Yeah, let's go into the Zumba, <laughs> Zumba instructor stuff. You were waiting for me to bring it up. I was going to ask if you didn't anyway. Uh, okay, so. okay. <laughs> how did you? How did that happen? Yeah, it's it's random. So much, you know, so much of life is random. But um, I ended up doing. I lo I love Zumba classes. I enjoyed it, and I have gone to the same YMCA. For several years, a very faithful student in one class, and I had gotten to know the fitness director. And then um, they were having, when when your YMCA hosts a Zumba training, you're allowed to go, let one person go for free. And because there was no instructor ready to go, she says, you know, if you're interested, you can come and do this training. I did the training, and then the teacher who I was taking classes from left the YMCA, and I took over her class, like, the next month. So so it just kind of turned out that way. But it's been six years now, and I'm still doing it. So it's a really fun hobby, I guess. 
So if people want to come see you in action, what day and time could they come and see you? I teach at the Alexander Family YMCA on Hillsborough Street, Wednesdays at 5.30. Okay, so if anybody wants to see Marty in Zumba action, <laughs> if the class isn't full already, you heard it here first, Wednesday at 5, 5 or 5.30. 5.30. Yeah. 5.30 p.m. <laughs> so, there it is. So what's a Zoom Marty Zumba class like? Well, you know, Zumba is a Zumba, of course, is a fitness format that involves um, doing choreographed dance steps, largely to to international rhythms. Many of them Latin rhythms. I like the Latin rhythms. Some people's Zumba classes are more pop music, so I will have salsa and merengue and cumbia as well as a few uh, popular songs, and you'll dance hard. So if you had to pick up. Are you going to come? One day. <laughs> one day. But if there was a favorite song that you would like to, that you do Zuma to, per se. Oh, yeah. Most of the songs you might not have heard of, but there's a lot of Daddy Yankee in there. Uh, no. I've heard Daddy Yankee. Reggaeton. There's yeah. a little bit of. I'm, I, the For pop songs, I really like Megan Trainer. I do a few of her songs. I have songs. no idea who that is. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. Many things you might not have heard of, but <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So who was Marty as a teacher? Hmm. Yeah. Interesting question. I don't know. I see myself as a like kinda like I said, in many of my classes I'm a facilitator where I kind of um lay out a task or a specific goal and help students achieve it. That's what I hope to do in a lot of cases. Um, you're taking the blogging class. I shouldn't call it the blogging class, Calm 311. Um, several of my classes are about taking your writing and bringing it to a professional level in various ways. So I feel like that's an important part. So what is your energy usually when you teach? Because I, I've seen some teachers around campus and you're one of the more enthusiastic hmm. teachers I must say from my experience anyway I haven't been here all four years so that could be your another reason but you're the one of the more enthusiastic people. <laughs> thank you I think some people might call it frantic <laughs> uh, it's funny because I don't get to go to other people's classes you know so I don't really know how other people approach teaching I think that having come into teaching at a time, there are a few years in there where I really wasn't teaching very often. I was just full-time writing. And when I came back to teaching, um, I feel like I have something to say and I want people to pay attention and maybe being a little loud was how I got there originally. But as with anything else, um, you might start out doing it for a purpose and in the end it just becomes part of your brand, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think just my personality is a little bit loud. I'm one of those people, like, I'll look up sometimes in a restaurant and be like, oh, my gosh, I'm talking too loud, you know. Um, I just have that kind of personality, and I bring it to my teaching for better or worse. Sometimes I try to tone it down a little bit, but it doesn't really last. So, <laughs> so are you a mother of two? Three. Three, okay. Mm -hmm. So who's Marty as a parent? Oh, wow. 
That's tough. Um, so there's three. I'll do the uh, Wheel of Fortune. I have my three lovely children. There's Patrick, 14, Inez, 11, and Isaac, 9. Um, I don't know. I'm in a... <laughs> Uh, I'm an involved parent, but I try to find the places where I can sort of let them grow on their own. So, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because it's like the same response that I had to the podcast question is the constant sort of back and forth of like, I'm going to micromanage your life. No, I'm going to let you grow on your own. Um, but my kids are fun, creative kids and they're not hard to parent. So it makes it kind of easy. Best and worst moments so far of each of your children's childhood. Oh, wow, that's tough. Um, my oldest child had a lot of problems at childbirth that were devastating. Um, but his current probably happy moment, I don't know. I think he asked someone on a date and he'll be going soon. That's exciting. <laughs> Um, my daughter has had a lot of high points because she's a very creative, independent, fun person to be around, but soon she'll be a teenager and I can already see the attitude. So there's a high and a low for that one. <laughs> <laughs> and my little one is just a, a ball of energy, which is adorable. Um, however, as you can imagine, a ball of energy often collides with many things. And so he's accident prone um and prone to mischief yeah yeah every once in a while we we see those children around and we're just gonna say hey they're kids <laughs> so. yes his when he started kindergarten here's a low point he broke both of his arms within two months yikes yeah and then when we brought him to the orthopedist the orthopedist was like this is how i became an orthopedist is because i so so accident prone that I broke a lot of bones. So maybe he'll be an orthopedist. That's what I'm hoping. Well, yeah, shout out to orthopedists, if that's even a word. But woo. <laughs> cool. Um. So there's a lot going on right now in society and such, mm. and you seem to have a more. I must say, from having conversations with you off air, um, objective point of view. Mm -hmm. So how would you kind of explain your view of society in this current moment? Well, if you're referring to the political situation, mainly. you Just anything. You but are being purposely broad. <laughs> <laughs> Some of that objectivity comes from... Being a journalist, because you're trained to speak in an objective way, I think everyone has opinions, but when you kind of train yourself mentally to see both sides of a situation, it becomes a habit of mind. I think that right now there's so much polarization that that mindset is a little bit unusual. People see something that resonates with them in a certain way, and they just retreat to their camp, left or right. Uh, versus seeing something that resonates and then going, why does that resonate with me? What might someone else think about this? Is there another way to look at this problem? Um, I'm afraid that kind of thinking that sees the other side or tries to understand different viewpoints is not common enough anymore. 
Uh, there are people who I very strongly disagree with, but I would think that it's important to understand that most people have other people's best interests at heart, though it's hard. <laughs> um, that said, I, I'm not so objective. I feel like the one area where I've gotten sort of out of the habit of objectivity, because speaking as a journalist, I do have problems with the current president, particularly regarding his treatment of the press um, and his, the, the ways in which he diminishes the importance of free speech and a free press. And so on those areas, I feel like I'm speaking as a professional in a field and sort of pointing out where he is denigrating um, an occupation that is an important part of our society and it is actually written into our constitution as an important part of our society. So there's a few thoughts on the current situation. How much job is it the press to actually have accountability for what they're saying and how they're saying it through the media because there's certain outlets that are good and there's some okay and there's some are horrible at actually taking responsibility what they're saying what they're putting out to the people so how would much would you say responsibility is it on them to actually have that objectivity it is. The, I mean, it's the responsibility of the of the industry and of the professionals who practice journalism. I think, um, you know, I, I've had, I don't know why I used this example recently, that there's this fake news thing. Um, fake news, to me, is something that is patently pretending to be news, but is not actually factual. It's like the impossible whopper, okay? Um, right? It's not actually meat. But if you think about um, news can be meat, it can be real, but be of varying quality, right? And so if you want good information, you need to go to a source of information that has high standards. And I think we have a lot of sources of information like that. The current medium, in the current media environment, a lot of people aren't seeing those sources. Uh, we blame the internet a lot, but the quality of journalism was declining in some ways with the advent of cable television because there's so many hours to fill, and often it's filled with people talking and espousing certain points of view or providing analysis, but a lot of that talk is considered to be news when in fact it's opinion. And so a lot of the, the sort of blur between fact and opinion started way before the internet with cable news. And I think the internet has made it harder for people to discern what's good news and what's bad. I mean, not good news, but quality information and what's not quality information. But I'm not an apologist for the media. There's a lot of poor tactics out there. Um, a lot of the problems now have to do with speed. There's so much competition to get information onto the internet quickly that the time that should be spent isn't spent vetting that information. And so the responsibility is on the media in some ways to create quality information, but unfortunately it becomes the job of the consumer to evaluate that information more and more. Piggybacking off of that, do you think people actually value quality information anymore or do they just like exciting information? 
Oh, you know, I think about this a lot because I, in several of my classes, I talk to students about their media usage and where they get information. And I need to remember that when I was a college undergraduate, I wasn't reading the New York Times either. Um, now, when I was a college undergraduate, the New York Times would not come to me instantaneously on my phone. Um, I think that it's it's hard to value good information. Good information is sometimes not easy to digest. Um, I myself will look at my Facebook feed and, and read some, you know, BuzzFeed list before the New York Times article at the end of a long day. My brain is tired. Um, but I think it's important to make the time and the space um, to take in quality information. On the other hand, it's beholden upon the media to write or to distribute information that is understandable and easily understood. You know, you can't be so pedantic that no one can read what you're writing. Um, so there's work that can be done on both sides there. Okay. Favorite moments of the decade in media, or news specifically, if you can't think of media one right off the bat? Oh, geez, this decade. This decade went by so quickly. It's hard to even imagine. Um. Hmm, 2010s. There's so many low points. I'm so sad to say <laughs> so many low points. Um, I really, I like to, to boost as much as possible local reporting. I feel like we have, uh, like, local newspapers all over the country are producing amazing um, reporting hard, that's hard work to do. Um, I've been really excited. I share these in my media writing classes sometimes with um, kind of large multimedia projects that you see different newspapers doing. Um, there was one, the Cincinnati Inquirer did the seven days of heroin. It sounds like really sad. It's a serious topic where they uh, have a whole kind of multimedia website with video and, and audio and writing where they had different reporters covering the opioid epidemic every day. Someone at the hospital, someone at the 911 center, someone at the courthouse, right? Kind of showing what the real problems are going on in this world. I think that's important reporting. And I think it's exciting to see that taken to um, modernize, to see it represented digitally in an interesting and exciting way. Lows of the decade oh, in the media. Lows and news. I don't know. We watch, the, and I'm just bringing up the examples that come to mind. I, if I had to think about it, I could probably come up with something better. Um, the other day in class, we watched the footage for various reasons. Um, the footage of uh, President Trump arguing with CNN reporter Jim Acosta um, during a press conference. And it just sort of epitomized to me the kind of... Um, relationship right now that we have between the press and and the federal government highs and lows of the peace time during this decade i don't know i mean it's all highs to me when it comes to the peace times every semester there's a uh, frustration obviously and um there's that last minute push to get the print edition done but but I feel like one high would be peace talks. I mean, this is something that came up entirely in the last. Yeah. Yay. So the low is always the push to get the print edition out, though the print edition is fantastic. But peace talks has been a real high. I mean, this has been something that just came from nothing to 
to what it is in a short period of time. So what are you looking forward to in the future for, I guess, some yourself in general, honestly, um, yourself, um, the newspaper, and I guess society? Um, answer for each. Wow. Um, I don't know. For myself, things are going pretty nicely. I guess uh, my kids will get older, and that's exciting. So I'll have a little bit um, more time to do my own thing. As my kids get bigger, that's something that's that's become pretty big in my life. Um, for the peace times, I feel like we have constant improvement going on. We plan to unveil a newly designed website in January, and I feel like that's going to be a real game changer for us in terms of just having that really strong outwardly facing visual personality that can integrate all of our products. I'm like, we're hardly a newspaper anymore. We're a digital news source that includes a YouTube channel and a podcast. And I think it's important for people to recognize that for society. I think that things tend to shift from one extreme to another. And we have um, drifted into an era of extreme polarization. And I think that it makes sense that we will drift back into a different situation where we are not so polarized. I'm not sure how it will happen, um, but I believe that it will. In terms of the news, I'm really excited to see that there are a lot of upcoming initiatives, um, per particularly bringing young people into journalism that I think are really exciting. Um, there's a report for America, which creates a, uh, it's a system much like uh, now I'm going to forget the name of it. Anyhow, you bring young journalists into areas that need uh, coverage of their local communities. Uh, and so I, I think there's a lot of um, good momentum in terms of news as well. Most important thing for young journalists coming up to do to advance their career. That's interesting. I actually, uh, I had the opportunity. Oh no, I hate it. Other people use that platitude. I had the opportunity. Here I am. Uh, I had the opportunity to attend a, um, a workshop for journalism educators in, at the Pointer Institute in St. Pete. And we had a, it was a hiring manager for CNN who was there. And it was interesting because the top two things that he talked about for, um, that they're looking for in young journalists are a knowledge of the news understanding what's going on, right? So that if you send them out to an assignment, they don't have to start from zero, right? If you follow the news, you have a sense of what's going on. Um, number two was ethical reasoning, being able to understand ethical dilemmas and to make good choices. Now, this is CNN, so they're talking about what they need on top of being able to speak fluently, write fluently, and all these other things that are obviously very important. Okay. Any advice to any upcoming teachers? Oh, to teachers? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's funny. It's it's fun being around people like uh, young people. I know I sound so old when I talk about young people, but there are generational differences, you know, and I think that if you want to um, to reach people who are different to come of a different generation, you need to be understanding that that of those changes and appreciate them, you know, um, there are things, ex your experience has been really different than mine. Um, 
and that can be a good thing, right? Don't come across like, why aren't you more like me? <laughs> That's the problem that I see sometimes that, and that I struggle with as well. Okay. Well, today you have learned a little about Marty, Marty McGuire and in the future you may learn more, but for now you've heard a little bit and that is enough. Anything else you would like to say? I don't know. Now that I'm on the podcast, I might never want to leave the podcast. Maybe every week I'll be on the podcast. What do you think? Okay. If you want to do it, hey, just discuss it. And it may or may not happen. So we'll see in the future. And if you enjoyed this conversation, if you enjoyed our podcast, and if you enjoy <clears throat> anything else that we like to do, make sure to follow us on Instagram at The Peace Times, Twitter, TPT Newspaper. YouTube, Peace Times, Anchor, WPU, Peace Times, and on all your podcasting platforms, just search WPU, Peace Times, Peace Talks, excuse me, and we will be somewhere in your feed. And also, we are on Snapchat, correct? Yes, we are on Snapchat. What is a Snapchat? Because I don't remember it. Yeah, I don't know either. Okay, just search the Peace Times on Snapchat, and I believe that's where we are. Yeah. Other than that, appreciate y'all. Love. Any day, morning, noon, and night, whenever you're listening to this. And peace out. Peace out.